This is Ethan Siegel, and welcome back to the Starts With a Bang podcast. On the largest scales today, we know of a vast, wonderful universe full of galaxy clusters and filaments separated by great cosmic voids. If we look down at smaller scales, we'll find individual galaxies, stars, planets, which include rocky planets containing heavy elements, complex molecules, and even life. We have a huge, rich, diverse universe today to encapsulate all that we see, perceive, can measure, and know. But early on, the universe consisted of none of that. It took time to expand, to cool, to create stars and galaxies, for those first stars to die and enrich the universe with those heavy elements, and to take the universe from a size that was no bigger than a few meters to the 46 billion light year wide universe we can see today. And yet all of this won't continue on to exist as it does today forever. The universe is still expanding, still cooling, and still acting under the influence of gravity. Stars are still burning fuel, which there's a finite amount of. Eventually, at some point in time, the universe as we recognize it today will no longer look this way. So how will it all come to a great cosmic end? If all you had in the universe was an expanding region of space that contained matter and radiation within it, there are only three possibilities for how that universe is going to end. Either it can end in a big crunch where the universe expands for a time, reaches a maximum size, and then turns around and recollapses, ending in a singularity that's the opposite of the Big Bang. If gravity, on the other hand, were not strong enough to cause that turnaround and recollapse, the universe would end in a big freeze where it expands forever and things that are distant and separated from one another continue to move farther and farther apart. This is also known as the heat death of the universe. But finally, there's a third option, a critical universe that's right on the border between the two, where the universe's expansion rate asymptotes to zero and if there were just one more proton in the universe, its gravitation would cause it to turn around and recollapse, but that proton doesn't exist. And so that's the last option, a critical universe. You can view this as a great cosmic race. There are two players in this race, the initial expansion and the effect of gravitation. If the expansion wins the race, you get a big freeze. If gravitation wins the race, you get a big crunch. And if there's a tie between the two, you get a critical universe where expansion almost wins and gravitation almost wins, but they wind up exactly balancing each other out instead. These three fates would be the only possible options if gravitation and expansion were the only factors. If all you had in the universe was matter and radiation, that's all you could possibly have for possible outcomes. But there's another ingredient that we discovered back in 1998, which is dark energy, or energy 
inherent to the fabric of space itself. Normally, the expansion rate drops as the universe's density dilutes, right? As your universe expands, the volume increases, but the mass remains the same. So as the universe continues to expand, the density goes down, and so more distant galaxies would continue to recede from you more slowly as time goes on. But if you have energy in the fabric of space itself, then as the universe expands, space stretches, and effectively, you make more of it. The energy density doesn't drop, but rather remains constant. As the volume increases, you have the same energy density everywhere, and so the expansion rate, the thing that determines how quickly an object moves away from you, refuses to drop. So think about what this means for a galaxy. When a galaxy is a certain distance away, it appears to recede at a certain speed because the fabric of space itself is expanding. As time goes on, the galaxy gets farther away. So by time it's twice as distant as it was initially, it's receding from you twice as fast. When it's ten times the original distance, it recedes ten times as fast. And so on and so on. The more time passes, the farther away any galaxy gets, and the faster and faster we see it move away from us. This means today that any galaxies that are bound into a group or cluster will ultimately merge into a single giant elliptical galaxy. Any galaxies that find themselves gravitationally bound have already, in their local region of space, overcome the expansion of the universe. So over time, gravitation will continue to hold them together. But any galaxy that isn't already gravitationally bound to another will never ever become so. From their vantage point, they will see the rest of the universe expand away from them. For us, that means we're gravitationally bound to the local group, which contains Andromeda, the Triangulum Galaxy, the Large and Small Magellanic Clouds, and about 60 or so other dwarf galaxies that are even smaller. We'll continue to stay bound together. We will gravitationally merge over billions of years. But every other galaxy in the universe will stay bound in its own group or cluster, and never become gravitationally bound to us or our local group. From our vantage point, from the very small like our own solar system to the very large, the entire universe, there are a tremendous number of milestones and monumental events to look forward to. Gradually, as time goes on, our sun will heat up. Global warming is real on the time scale of hundreds of millions or billions of years due to the sun. As it burns its fuel, its core expands, heats up, and burns the fuel inside at a faster rate. After one to two billion years from now, it will heat up to such a point that Earth's oceans will boil. And this should end life as we know it on planet Earth. 
Eventually, about five to seven billion years in the future, the sun itself will run out of hydrogen fuel in the core. The core therefore will contract and heat up, causing the sun to expand into a red giant and causing helium to burn in its core now. After another one or two billion years, the sun will run out of its core helium. It will blow off its outer layers in a planetary nebula, and the core region of the star will contract to a white dwarf, which Earth will continue orbiting. Around the same time, about four to seven billion years in the future, the Milky Way and Andromeda galaxies will merge together. Eventually, they'll settle down into a single giant elliptical known as Milkdromeda. This is the future of our galaxy and our local group as we extrapolate it into the distant future. When the Milky Way and Andromeda galaxies merge, they will trigger a giant wave of new star formation. Many new generations of stars still are yet to form in our local group. But as time goes on, star formation will occur at decreasing rates once that giant merger is over. And the new stars that form will form preferentially with lower masses and will therefore be longer lived. Our universe today is almost 14 billion years old, and after about four times the present age of the universe, the moon, the earth, and the sun will become mutually tidally locked, which is to say, right now the moon's face, the same face of the moon, always faces the earth. It's halfway tidally locked, because the earth itself still rotates on its axis. But after this time, after about 50 billion years or so, the Earth will orbit having a day that's equivalent to 47 days now. The moon will spiral outward and will also orbit Earth once every 47 days. After that time, the same face of the Earth and moon will always face each other. If we go further into the future, about 10 times the current age of the universe, there will be no more galaxies beyond our local group that are visible. Thanks to dark energy, there will only be Milkdromeda from our point of view, and everything else beyond all the billions and billions of galaxies we see today will be forever invisible. After about a hundred times the age of the universe, the very first white dwarfs to form in the universe, the ones that exist already, will finally go dark. They will cease emitting visible light. And if we go even farther into the future, we can see more things begin to die in their final throes. After about 10,000 times the present age of the universe, the longest-lived red dwarf stars will begin to die. The universe will contain its first white dwarfs at that point that aren't made of carbon and oxygen, which is what you get when a sun-like star dies, but instead will be made only of helium. You will have your first helium helium white dwarfs in the universe. After about a million times its present age, neutron stars will go dark too. Not only will white dwarfs radiate away to the point where they no longer emit visible light, but neutron stars as well. 
a million times its current age, there will be no stars or visible light shining any longer except for the occasional collision of two stellar remnants that very briefly will emit a spectacular flash of light. And so you wind up with a picture of the universe where you just have these stellar corpses rotating around the galactic center in this elliptical pattern. But after a billion times the current age of the universe, stars in general will not remain in their current configuration. They'll begin in great numbers to be gravitationally ejected from the galaxy due to their mutual gravitational interactions. They, instead of being bound to Milkdromeda, will hurtle all by their lonesome through empty intergalactic space. About 1% of the stars will randomly collide with another, causing a brief flare as they burn through the remaining nuclear fuel through fusion reactions once again. Most of these will eventually be ejected as well, with only a few remaining stars and stellar remnants in quasi-stable orbits orbiting the central mass of giant black hole at the center of our galaxy. But even as the galaxy continues to exist, even as these stellar remnants continue to orbit, they won't remain in this configuration forever. And that's because on the longest timescales you can measure, black holes themselves will begin to decay. After about 10 to the 67 years, the very first black holes, the ones that are only about the mass of our sun, will begin to evaporate completely due to Hawking radiation. At these final moments of evaporation, you will see a brief violent flash of radiation that will have visible light components to it for only a few seconds. In those final moments, it will emit the energy equivalent to about 500,000 of the most luminous, energetic nuclear bomb humanity has ever detonated here on Earth. After around 10 to the 100 years, the giant black hole around even the most massive galaxies, the most supermassive black holes of all, will completely evaporate too, converting into blackbody radiation and leaving no singularity behind. What we'll see at that point is that the mass holding the galactic center together will have completely disintegrated. And yet, if nothing else happens to our solar system, even if it gets ejected or whether it stays in orbit, the Earth will continue orbiting the remnant gravitational star, this white dwarf that's since faded to black, for almost an eternity. I say almost because after about 10 to the 150 years, a long, long time after the last black hole has long evaporated away, the Earth will spiral into the remnant of the sun owing to the energy it's lost from gravitational radiation. All of this, by the way, all of this story of our far future makes one big assumption. We assume that dark energy, the energy inherent to space itself, is a constant that doesn't change with time. It doesn't get weaker, it doesn't get stronger, it doesn't get more negative, it doesn't change sign. 
although this agrees with our best observations, it is by no means a certainty. There is still definitely wiggle room for what could happen to dark energy in the future that would be different from it being completely constant and unchanging in magnitude. Dark energy could increase in strength. It would have consequences for acceleration, where the expansion rate would speed up, where the more distant a galaxy became, not only would it accelerate from us, but the rate of acceleration would increase. If this happened, if dark energy increased in strength like this, we would find that progressively smaller scales would become unbound. Galaxies themselves would rip apart with stars flying off, planets would fly away from the solar systems, and in the last moments, planets, stars, human beings themselves would all become unbound as the very atoms and subatomic particles were shredded apart. This scenario is known as a big rip. On the other hand, dark energy could decay away. It could decrease in strength. We would see less acceleration, the expansion rate would drop to zero, and perhaps more gravitational binding would occur. Maybe we would even someday fall into large clusters or superclusters. The universe under this scenario would take much longer periods of time to go dark and stop forming stars. Or we could go fully the other way. Dark energy could flip signs. It could cause a cosmic reversal and lead, after all, to a big crunch. The expansion rate would reach a maximum size, the universe would reach a maximum scale, and then we'd see all the distant galaxies and clusters start to head towards us once again. In the last moments, we'd see the universe start to meld together into a giant inferno, heating up again, and in the last moments of a big crunch, everything would be fried. It could even lead to a scenario that resulted in a new Big Bang, either through a rejuvenated universe or a big bounce scenario. This conclusion is based on our best observations that we will have a universe full of constant dark energy and ever-increasing speeds in the great cosmic recession. But it's important to measure what we know today to greater and greater precision. Observations will continue to improve, and so will our understanding either that dark energy is in fact a constant or that it has departures from that. Observatories like the European Space Agency's Euclid, NASA's WFIRST, and ground-based telescopes like the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope, LSST, will come online in the 2020s, and they will truly show us the light and shed light on what's going to be the true ultimate fate of our universe. The Starts With a Bang podcast is made possible through the generous donation of our Patreon supporters. I'd like to give a shout out to everyone donating at the $5 a month level and above for supporting me. Thanks to Ryan Schultz, Samir Kumar, Bakhtiar, Kathy Reese, Denier, Robert Hansen, Thomas Sola, Richard Jousey, Igor Mitrofanov, Pedro Texera, Alexander Marius, Denise Arnault, Nick Tomlinson, Gaijin, Rafal Wojcik, Arthur F., Jason Basanseni, Bob Wilson, 
Marcelo Barnaba, Danny, Andrew Douglas, Chris Hilly, Weller Tractor Salvage, Zarko Opachik, James Nance, Bill Murphy, Sidney Atwood, Karen Garrison, Benjamin Turner, Joe Latone, John Seal, Rachel Merritt, Philip Radilovic, Peter Williams, Patrick Dennis, David Taschioni, Kevin Barnes, Glenn McDavid, Jose Enrique, Joe McFarland, Braxton Thomason, Chris Shaw, Harry Plumley, DGE, Thomas All, Mark Armstrong, John Mithoff, Amira Sosnik, Radek Nesbida, and Nathan Hanna. Thanks everyone for your support and for joining me, and I'll see you next time back here on the next Starts With a Bang podcast. <laughs> <laughs>